sharing a house in Bronte in the eastern suburbs of Sydney was, I can say, was fun, was life, was interesting, was sharing, all good things. And funnily, one of my good friends from there came to stay uh, over the weekend with her very much grown children now, um, like 16, 15 and 9 years of age. And like myself and actually all four of us um, females in our early 20s at the time all living together uh, with a couple of other guys who had, we had different people share the fourth room fifth room, five, nice big five bedroom house in Bronte um, and some of the all of us are not with the fathers of our children and we're all quite happy, or do fine, so do they, mostly mutual relationships, not necessarily for her, it's still pre-mid-divorce and there's still lots of angst, so some of the conversation was around that and around acknowledging the pain and the frustration and then moving through. What does the next phase look like? And her daughter, who's very, very competent young woman, just amazing really to listen to. Um, she, that's the 16 year old, she said, well, given that 50% of people, and we're saying people like this is in, let's just say New South Wales, that's a stat that we know is correct. 50% of marriages end in divorce. She said, well, if the children learn by seeing what their parents did that wasn't, that didn't keep them together, and they did differently, it'd be interesting to see the statistics of when these children grow up, like, as she said, her generation, because as she said, she'd be thinking to do things differently from her parents so it wouldn't repeat the same mistake. And I shared that I too grew up in a house where alcohol, violence, you know, not, well, see, I keep going to downplay it and say, well, it's not really that violent. It was okay. There was a lot of fighting. There was physical fighting between my mum and dad. And even if it wasn't a lot, it stood out enough that it was definitely a thing. And when it wasn't actually happening, there was the, the suspense that it may happen at any time. So there was the need to sort of feel on guard. So the adrenals were ready at a young age and watching for signs that you get used to if this happens and that happens there's more likely to be this sort of outburst and it, that's the biochemistry <laughs> that I was creating in my body as a young child and then I had a number of um, boyfriends mostly quite long term a couple of years each and the ones that weren't so long short term were the ones I said were boring and it was only years later when grandmother Parisher you know suggests one of the many books she suggested in movies was um, what the bleep do we know now that's been around quite a while now it seems quite simple there's a number of 
scientists or what other people were saying pseudoscientists because they had spirit and, and other parts in them, but absolutely real science in there as well. And one of the key parts was chemical addiction to emotion. And that Cherokee and many others who I've learned from know that this is a thing and have tools and techniques to work with with the young people and with older people, with anyone, when there's a, a pattern that's there to allow the person to reflect and release and see those patterns for themselves. And this part of chemical addiction to emotion, when I realized it, I was like, oh, wow, that is, I didn't really have words for it. It's just you feel it. There's a feeling in the body of when you have one of those aha moments of your own. And a quick aside, it reminds me of another teaching grandmother parish where we see butterflies and that's often associated with transformation. Yes, the, the caterpillar goes into the cocoon. It undergoes an amazing transformation. It pushes through resistance to come out. That's all teachings. Another teaching, which I found really interesting, was the one that's termed, don't steal another person's thunder. And that is their aha moment. Because when someone gets to realize something for themselves, it really is like thunder. There is a change inside their biochemistry. And if you put brainwave sensors on it, quite often it would show that there's a registering of what's gamma brainwaves now. You don't necessarily need to know what that means right now, except so the concept isn't strange to you. It means like really high frequency. So we're really something's happening here. It's like, wow. So these waves, like your brain, you just know brain waves. People talk about brain waves all the time. There's certain brain waves when you're awake, like beta, you're looking out, you're really active to the outside world. And there's brain waves when you start to go to sleep. You can say delta, you can say. Different sets of brain waves are associated with different types of thinking or activities like sleep, deep sleep, meditation, completely awake, very alert. So these gamma ones are the ones that are sort of off the richter of normal behavior, normal thinking, normal sleeping, and it's the aha moment. So not stealing someone else's thunder means allow them to have that aha moment. And from a biochemical perspective, there are lots of reasons for that. It has effect more than you telling somebody, so much more than ever what you say to someone, unless what you've said creates the aha moment. And in traditional ways and in many good therapist ways as well, the power is in asking the questions rather than telling. So if you ask questions and a person is able to answer such that they hear themselves and they have that ability to go, aha, that's a, a true healing way. So back to our chemical addiction to emotion, not stealing thunder would mean at that point where you're going through a realization, you allow the person to go through it. So you don't jump ahead and say, yeah, that's right. That's why you'd be feeling like this or you would have that or especially to put it on somebody to say, you are thinking like this or you are feeling like that. 
So allow them to have their thunder and their aha moment. And back to the story, in the process of then sharing my story, I was able to say that there was a point when I watched that movie and the aha moment here was there was a, a visual in there where the woman, she was actually a sex addict and she was telling her cells who all her body was saying to her, yeah, look, let's, let's go out and you know, find somebody. And it was, it was, it was a bit confronting in that because my conservative upbringing was like, whoa, that's not what females do. I, that's a different aha moment to look at that conditioning. But it was that she was then talking to her cells in her body and saying, no, we're not doing that today. And I then realized at the time I was working in local government and at three o'clock, I'd start to feel like a cherry ripe. That's a little chocolate, very artificial middles, dark chocolate on the outside, sugar, the whole bit, only small, you know, about three centimeters or a little over an inch long. And somehow I justified that it was good because they were in there as fundraisers. So you'd put in your 50 cents or $2 or whatever you put in and took your little chocolate and went back to your desk. And I realized that that was more accurate than any clock that I had. My body would say, this is the time for that particular set of chocolate and everything that came with that. The dopamine hit a whole lot. So that had become a routine addiction. And having watched the movie, I was then able to say to my cells, no, we're not doing that anymore. And I'm in control. And this brought back the teachings of Grandmother Parisha of who's talking. There are so many script lines in there, in our head, so many voices that seem logical when they come up to let you know, well, actually the little bit of sugar now or this, or it's got coconut in it, or it raises money for other things, for the Lions Club. You could stop on, it's not a new moon today, you might as well just start you know, next Wednesday, because that new moon, that's a good time to start. Who is talking? Whose script is that? Because if my real feeling, when I say me, I could be talking about the essence of myself that thinks of the future. What do I want to feel like, look like, do like, be like right now? And therefore, what are the steps I need to take? And that included not having chocolate every day not having the sugar highs and lows, not having my body telling me what the next action was. So from that perspective, I was able to say who's talking and the who's talking was the body and the cells because they'd been conditioned to that particular um, chocolate. Now, did just telling them once fix it? No many times over a number of weeks until I didn't even have that feeling anymore. Now, why did it take weeks? Actually, from a biological perspective, it can take three months. Because if you imagine a cell and it has a membrane, so it has a little packet on the outside, like a little skin on the outside, and then it has the, the DNA or the information on the inside that DNA on the inf inside is what then creates the messengers that go around the body like it will create this protein or it will create that one or it will send a message to a 
particular gland that will then say produce this hormone or this feeling. So incredibly fast, just Another recommendation is to look into the biochemistry of your body and how it works. Just choose one piece. Choose how a kidney works or have a look how, uh, you know, the happiness or the dopamine gets released when you have chocolate or when you, when you finish a project that you've been delaying. They all do it. Um, but again, back to the story. There's that ability then to have the cell membrane influence the DNA. Now how it does that and Bruce Lipton describes this beautifully. So look up Bruce Lipton as well. He's a scientist. He does a lot in um, the biology. He's worked with some of the original work of that person I mentioned, Candice Pert, who did the book Biology of Belief. And Bruce points out it's a brain, me membrane, and think of that word brain in there. It, because the cell membrane has these little doors all over it. And the doors, some of them are just open all the time, things come in and out. Some of them have specific keys that need to be unlocked to let that particular substance in. So the cell membrane is full of doors, as we said, some open, some with keys. What gets in and out of the membrane is what then triggers the DNA what to create. Now if we think of the DNA quickly as a massive recipe book, there are so many, many, many proteins, so many, many substances that can get made from the different combinations of the ingredients that we have. And it's the DNA is the recipe book that says put one of these with one of those and then one of these with one of those and then they get matched up with the ingredients that are there. So we have this huge recipe book Usually we only go to a couple of pages. Like in many families, if you usually cook um, lasagna, nachos, um, fried rice, a mix of standard food, you're probably more likely going to go to those pages over and over again. And the more you go to those pages, some of them wear out a bit. That's another story. Listen to some of Bruce's information for that. So we've got this recipe book. now. Who's the, who's the chef that chooses what page of the recipe book? Well, it's quite often that little bit of information that comes through the door of the membrane. So if you have, for example, a whole lot of information that says, we are now low on dopamine, the one that makes you feel happy, then what is it actually saying something is low or high? Now you may know that the body has different chemicals, different substances, different particles all through it. That's again, part of how we feel, part of how we work. For example, if we've eaten sugar, the work through our pancreas and many other, it's not that simple, but many, 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 pieces of information through the body to then release the insulin, which is a substance which helps convert that sugar to glucose. And when we're low on sugar, we also have a process that helps convert the sugar that's been stored back into available 
we'll say available sugar in our blood. So we have a blood sugar level that you would have heard of. People talk about blood sugar level. That's meant to be at a certain amount and the body regulates if it's got too low, they'll unpack some that they've stored and put it back in. If it's too high, they'll pack some up and take it out. So that's happening all the time. And when you really see how influential um, it can be to not have that in place, I've got friends who are diabetics and it's really interesting to see what happens when the levels get too low or too high. Obviously, we, you know, they have medication and things to make sure they're safe. Um, but yeah, you can see when it's borderline and they let you know. So that's happening all the time, but it's not just the sugar. Everything else has levels. So our body knows some biological levels that are within the realms how the body works safely. But then there's also ones that we create. An example for those who um, crave, let's, let's do a simple one because people know it, smoking. Now whether you've smoked or not or know someone who's smoked or not, luckily around here there's so few people that smoke these days. Whereas when I was growing up it was so normal. Even our house had this haze where if you went the bottom meter of the lounge room didn't have the smoke and then from there up there was a clear blue line and from there up it was all this blue smoke that hung in the air. So, nicotine, the addiction to it. There's a time then when that cell membrane that we talked about with all the doors and the keys, the cell membrane has a little doorway with a lock that says this is the one for nicotine. Now the cell membrane is very accommodating. It's like having a house and whatever people are on the outside of that house, if each different sort of person had to come in a different door, they want to make sure that everyone is able to get into the house. So some people need a certain type of door and different people need a different type of door. <laughs> They make more doors. If you've got more nicotine sitting outside the cell, when the cell, the cell will realize there's, there's more on the outside of the membrane than the inside and that they need to make more receptor sites to be more welcoming for that substance to come in. There's not an override that says, this is not healthy for you, therefore we will not make more receptor sites. Self-determinism is so high that there is complete allowance to choose. And that's another story when you work with traditional peoples or even some therapists, there is an, an acknowledgement that there was a time well back in our creation of this physical form that self-determinism was included there for the detriment or the betterment of a person. So if we feel like something, like a cigarette, like an ice cream, like anything that we at other times would logically say that's not in alignment with my body's best interest. And believe me, sometimes a cigarette might be someone's in someone's best interest. An ice cream, it sometimes might be in someone's best interest. So please know that I'm not saying these things are good or bad, but it's who's talking. As Parisha said, ask who's talking. So if it's the body that now has so many of these little doorways to nicotine 
And if this nicotine started to reduce in level because someone's made that conscious decision to reduce their nicotine intake or their sugar intake or their salt intake or their anger intake, now let's get back to that one after, it'll have doors with nobody coming through it and it will say, hey, something's gone wrong. We had all these doors ready and now it's not there. Let's send a message up to the brain that this particular substance isn't coming through the door anymore so we need more. So then the cells send information to the brain to say, hey, we're low on nicotine. And this is really where the who's talking comes in. So the body then can make up wonderful scenarios. Here's a quick example from mine. I finished the science degree. We had an honors year where you do research and write a thesis. Obviously that has a timeline in which to do it. When you get to the end, that timeline can feel very compressed. I was sleeping little, spending long nights, moved in to live on campus so I only had to work from, walk from the biology building over to the campus, sleep a little, eat in the morning, start work again. There was a lot of adrenaline associated in those last days, weeks actually. And I remember at one time thinking, when I have handed this thesis in, I am just going to feel amazing. The reality, I handed the thesis in and I'd have a, yes, normal day, all good. Didn't quite feel amazing, it felt good. But then I'd go to bed at night and my mind, this is the who's talking, the body cells, I realized, later, the benefit of hindsight, the body cells were saying to me, we made all these receptor sites for adrenaline and we're not getting enough. And all of a sudden, before I, before I knew it, my body had created a scenario where my mind was playing a video of a little dog running out onto the road, just in the, like in the little shopping complex area near where I live. And there's cars everywhere and I'd be like, <gasps> and I'd have a hit of adrenaline. I'd be like, why am I having these? No, not even dreams. I wasn't even asleep. Why am I having these? I didn't know the information then of chemical addiction to emotion. After some time when I did know, I was then able to say to myself, I appreciate that you created the adrenaline. I appreciate that that was the right thing that got us through that particular set of life called finishing the thesis. We, including every wonderful cell in my body, we do not need to do that anymore. And even that felt like, whoa. So now who's talking? I'm talking. I am the, I am the commander of these trillions of cells. And it's like, oh, okay, we don't need to do that anymore. A little bit of a lag time. It's still there, but it didn't have the same intensity because I realized what was going on. And soon the visualizations would stop. Same with the nicotine and the person when they realize that this story is the cells on the membrane. And then one might say, well, when, when, when's it gonna stop? Well, if you've heard that little thing of, they say three minutes, three hours, three days, 
three weeks, three months. The three months thing seems to come around quite a lot in terms of giving up addictions. And from a biological perspective, in three months, very many of your cells, it depends which cells, because they all have turnover times at different rates, like your red blood cells turn over really fast, your white blood cells last longer, your brain cells longer again, the inside, the cells in your stomach lining, they're replaced every single day. So on average, the cells that are being used in these communications of what's present and what's not, what's going inside and outside of the cell, what is the DNA being triggered to create, that is what page of this wonderful recipe book are we opening to create molecules that are going to pass out of the cell into the bloodstream and have effect on our thoughts, our emotions, our physicality. Those cells, enough of them within three months will have become new. That if that particular thing, as we go back to the nicotine, if the nicotine is no longer floating around outside them, they're not hanging around at the door waiting to get in. When that cell divides, when I say a new cell, if you imagine one cell, what happens first is all of the recipe book gets transcribed. So now we have two recipe books and that's our DNA doubling itself up in theory perfectly. We don't want to change our recipes. They've got to be exact. The DNA doubles itself up creates two nucleuses. So that's basically the kitchen where the recipe book is held. So we have a nucleus being the kitchen. Inside is the DNA, which is a recipe book. It has been beautifully copied so that now we have two copies of the recipe book and indeed two kitchens. Once we have that, then the cell membrane starts to pinch in a little bit like a figure eight with one kitchen or one nucleus in each side and it pinches right in and becomes two cells but unlike the recipe books that get copied meticulously the cell membrane it's a bit of an effort for benefit if something's not being used when it divides so when you get the membrane breaking into two, it's not going to make a whole lot of extra doorways for nicotine to come in if there hasn't been much nicotine coming in the door. That's a wasted effort. So this time round, it creates fewer doorways for nicotine. So each time that happens, if that particular substance isn't outside the door waiting to get in, when the cell divides, there are less doorways. Now this can mean if there's less doorways, there's going to be less messages from the body back up to the brain saying, hey, we're low on nicotine, we want more. Or as I said, low on sugar, low on receiving anger. We'll come back to that one. Then they make less receptor sites for it. So there is that period in the first minutes, days, weeks, months, where it may not feel any different. And this is where coaches will say, consistency is everything. Stick at it. It'll work out in the end. 
when you know why it works out, like some people don't need to know the why like this. I like the science and I've known it's helped in my life. So when you know why, you can also visualize your cells as they divide, having less receptor sites for whatever it is you're giving up. And when we say you're giving something up, again, there's a psychology to that. It's not meant to feel like you've, you've got less. You've got less havingness. You can't have it. So if we say, what are we changing? We are stopping that and we are changing it to this. And again, if you look to nature, if nature has a river going in a particular way, if the river's going to stop flowing one way, it just doesn't stop. It'll create a big dam. And that dam's going to bust out sometime. So instead of saying to the river, you can't go there anymore, it's like you just build a little furrow off to the side so some of the water can start going that way and more water can start going that way. And if it really is in alignment with what works with the water as well, it'll have a new pathway. And when the water starts to flow in that way, it'll all go there in, in due course. So let's see it as a stop change. And again, Parisher would often say, you know, who's talking? Now that you know, do a stop change. So there's a bit of the biology behind who's talking and behind stop change. So we're not necessarily just giving up nicotine. What are we doing instead? Now that's going to be different for each person. The more you do of whatever that thing is, going for a walk in the morning, singing, dancing, drawing, gardening, meditating, listening to the birds. You might hear them in the background here. Absolutely divine. Love you birds. Um, but it works also that if you had one or two receptor sites, say for the feeling when you've done a good 20 minute walk, if you keep doing those 20 minute walks, you'll have more receptor sites for those. You will want to go on that 20 minute walk. So as I said in the beginning, it's not necessarily that the body is selecting what's good for you or not good for you. It's responding biochemically to what is, what is lining up outside the door. And that's what's up to you. That's where what you choose in your environment. And when I say your environment, the physicality that you're looking out there outside of your body is an environment. But so too is the let's call them fluids because you can sort of think of your body as this wet thing the fluids that your cells are bathed in that fluid is the environment of the cell that is the outside of the door of the cell so what is the environment that your cells are floating in and that is influenced by what you eat what you drink what you breathe in but again they're the physicalities now, just for a little stretch, and we're going to complete with this one because we'll just have it as an idea for now. Everything I've just said about substances, if you extend that to emotions and have a little time thinking about that, you can be addicted to somebody being angry with you. Someone being angry with you creates the same physical response as taking a physical substance. You hear it, you feel it, there is a thought. The thought is translated into a physical substance that moves through the bloodstream 
lines up outside a cell membrane door and says, I am whatever it might be. I am victim, I am angry, I am, and it can be positive as well. That we, this full range, even to be angry sometimes could be positive. It's like about time someone actually stands up and says, no, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna step forward in my own self. Um, so again, not to say any emotion is bad, but if it's out of balance, like the too much nicotine or sugar, it could be time to change, stop change. So who's talking and stop change and more shared wisdom of a, it feels like saying of a lifetime, such an influence in my life, of a lifetime of teachings with Grandmother Parisher.